0: You are listening to a message from Treeline Church, a life-giving church in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. If you are in the Pittsburgh region, we would love to have you join us in person for one of our services. Check out treeline.church for times and location. Thanks for listening and enjoy the message. And we are continuing a vision series. If you've been with us for this for the last several weeks. We've been talking about our vision here as a church. For those of you who don't know, we are a brand new church. We just crossed the six-month line, which is, yes, that's amazing. Uh, We've been doing this for six months now. It's just awesome to see what God is doing. We truly believe this is just the beginning of what God has called us to do as a church. So what we've been doing, we set the last couple of weeks apart, and we've been talking about that vision. What is it exactly God is calling Tree Line Church to do? What does our vision look like? And beyond that, how do we get there? So we have this vision, what we want to do, but now how do we achieve that vision? And if you've missed any of the series, it's all online. You can go take a listen, or you can watch it on Facebook if you want to catch up or see a little bit more, hear a little more about what we are about here at Treeline Church. And so I thought today a great place to start. We've been recapping this every week, and this is probably the first question we get, which we like, is what's with the name, right? What's with the name Tree Line? Like what, are you guys like in the Colorado Rockies, you know, we're in Pittsburgh? Like what's going on? What's with the name Treeline Church? Well, simply in nature, we've got some pictures to show you. A tree line is where the trees will physically stop growing due to some kind of, typically, a climate change, an environment change. Um, you can see that's where the trees just stop growing. They won't grow beyond that point. We've got another picture you can see up the side of the mountain. The trees just physically won't grow beyond that point. They just, they can't. The life cannot be sustained. Those trees just, they grow to the point where they can grow, and then they can't get there. At the Arctic Circle, there's actually a tree line there, too, where the trees just, they just, they're too cold, right? They're like, this is freezing. I'm out of here. They just stay in the tree line, and so for us, this created a word picture for us as a church that we want to be a church that is positioned on the edge of the tree line, recognizing that there are so many people in our world, in our culture, in our schools, workplace, everywhere around us who have yet to receive life in Christ. So we want to be a church positioned at the edge of the tree line. Instead of being huddled safely in the center, we want to be on the edge reaching out to people who have yet to receive new life in Christ. That's what we want to be all about here at Treeline Church. So we just put it right in the name. It's baked in. And so it's a great conversation starter. People ask us. And so there you guys know, right? You're all experts. If you've been here a few weeks, you could probably give this short talk now. We'll we'll give you the PowerPoint if you need to do that as well. But so that's what we're at, Treeline. That's what we want to do. And so really, that's where our name came from. And for us, the next generation is a really big focus for us. So Treeline then became family trees. And so something that's a big deal to us, that's very near and dear to our heart, is the next generation. So our mission statement is simply this. We exist as a church to see family trees transformed by a lifelong relationship with Jesus. This is it. This is what it's all about for us. We simply exist to see family trees transformed by a lifelong relationship with Jesus. This is what we want to do. So all the vision that we've been talking about, all the steps on how we're going to get there, we've been packing this the last several weeks, it all hinges on this idea that we want to do everything that we can, and we would even say short of sin or breaking the law, we want to do everything that we can to reach people who are far from God and to see family trees transformed changed forever by a lifelong relationship with Jesus. So I'm really excited today to talk about our vision for the next generation. This is something what it's all about, right? This is where the mission statement lives. This is something that is not only something that's going to be a part of what we do, this is what we do. We want to be focused on the next generation. And really, our childhood is a very critical time, right? You could probably think and have memories, a lot of things developmentally that happened. And maybe, yes, some of the things spiritually that happened to you, but just even in life, we all have those stories, we all of those things that happened to us when we were young, when we were a child or a pre or even a teenager, some very big things happened to us in the development and even set us up for our path, right, at the trajectory that we have in life. And so I was thinking about my childhood and some of the memories that I had. And I was the kid, you know, maybe, how many of you packed a lunch in school? When you went to school, when you were especially like elementary, you like packed a lunch. Okay, and I guess the rest of you, so you, you, would, you ate the cafeteria, right, you ate the cafeteria food. Well, I, I liked to pack my lunch. I know some, some kids are like, you know, I, I, I don't want to pack. I was a fan of pack packing my lunch. And so something that I was thinking about, I was trying to remember the lunchbox that I had when I was a kid. Do you remember the lunchbox that you had when you were a kid? And I was racking my brain trying to remember what lunchbox I had when I was in elementary school. And I could remember it was red. I remember the box was red. And so I just couldn't remember what it was. And so thank you, Google, right? I spent hours researching this, put a team together who helped me find my childhood lunchbox. So we actually have a picture of the lunchbox I had when I was a kid. Yes, I know, right? I had the Pound Puppies lunchbox. This is not, This is quintessential '80s, right here, right? It doesn't get any more '80s than this. Pound puppies? Like, first of all, let's just start there. Would you've loved to have been like a television executive in the '80s? So I got this great idea: the city pound. Ooh, I like it. Let's go there, right? Like, like that's gonna be fun. Loving the city pound. Like, let's, let's, let's the kids are gonna love watching that. And so you can see here in the picture, the, <laughs> the dog actually has like a shovel. They're like, I think I remember they were like always escaping. It was always a plan to like get out of the pound or you know get the other dogs adopted. But that that was my lunchbox. I had that sweet, sweet thermos, pound puppies, lunch box. And I don't know what, what these things were cool. I don't know if you had one, but they actually came with a thermos like, the little cylinder thermos in there, and you, I don't know, like, for your kid, were you supposed to, like, put soup in there or something? I, I don't know. Um, but I always remember mine smelled really bad. Like, it just was, like, you just opened up that lunch box, and it just had that smell. Because I, like, I think you put, like, milk one time in that thermos, it's ruined. It's done for life. You can never get the smell of that old milk out of there ever, ever again. I just remember that box just had this really unique smell to it. And mine was so cool, I actually had a customized name badge, right? It was like this little brass name badge, right? It had my name on there and my Twitter handle. No, it didn't have any of that. But it had my name on there, which probably today they'd be like, don't do that. That's not safe. But I had my name on my lunchbox, and it was just the coolest thing ever. I loved that thing growing up. And I don't know if you remember what your lunchbox was growing up. Maybe you had one of these. But today we're going to be actually talking about, are you ready for this? We're going to be talking about packing lunches. We're going to be talking about packing lunches, and I love this picture of all these old lunch boxes, and, and matter of fact, if you still have some of these, if you've got one, they're, they're actually worth money. I was kind of blown away when I was checking this out looking for mine. Now, not mine, like the 80s plastic one. Those are just in the landfill right now, right? They're just never going to dissolve. There's a pound puppy lunch box somewhere crying in the landfill right now that I once used, but if you have like these old tin ones, um, they're, they're worth money. They're valuable. Matter of fact, I think the top one was, if you can believe it or not, the Beatles, right? I'm sure that's probably in a museum somewhere, but if you've got it, it's worth some money, so I just helped you out right there. Some of you are like, can't wait to get home and get on eBay, get that bad boy listed, but we're talking about packing lunches today, and this is really important, and we're not just talking about packing food, but that's sometimes a really great thing. Place to start with the next generation. We're talking about investing into the next generation. So I want to take you on this journey this morning of what this means. And so we're going to be talking about the current generation, which I know today millennials get all the airplay, right? It's all about the millennials. It's all about that generation and talking about all the issues that they're having or the things that they do well or the things that they don't do so well and the challenges that they're facing. But we're actually going to go a generation beyond that. We're going to talk about the generation after. And maybe you've never heard this term before. It's actually Generation Z, Generation Z, where does that come from? Maybe you've heard of Generation X, right? And then Millennials are technically Generation Y, but they're like, we don't like that. We want to be called Millennials. I don't know where it came from, but they call them Millennials, right, instead of Y, and so Z would be the generation. I don't know where they're going after this because we just ran out of alphabet. But anyway, so gener- maybe they're the last. So Generation Z is the generation that we are talking about, right? That's And so where is Generation Z? Generation Z is collectively the ages 4 to 24, which is a pretty big range. But the interesting thing about Generation Z is it is the largest generation in the United States. So 25 percent of the population is Generation Z, so the largest, even bigger than boomers. So this is the biggest generation. And the amazing thing about generation and why we're talking about this is that this is the first post-Christian generation in our country. So what does that mean, post-Christian? Well, that means that this generation by and large has been raised with no kind of religious, let alone Christian, upbringing. So you could say that this generation, Generation Z, has no memory of the gospel, So a lot of people, even if they've not been in church for a long time, they could kind of, you know, talk about things of God or have an understanding of who Jesus was, the Son of God, and Jesus died for our sins on a cross. Generation Z can't reference any of that because they have no memory. They don't understand any of it. Matter of fact, it gets to the point that Generation Z, you can't even reference simple biblical truths and Bible stories. Many of the Bible stories that the older generations, even maybe some millennials that would have grown up with maybe in vacation Bible school or maybe if you went in Sunday school, and we say things like Noah's Ark, right? We say things about David and Goliath. We talk about basic Bible stories. Generation Z has no understanding of that whatsoever. You can't reference any of it. And so this generation is the first post-Christian generation in our country, which is a very, very big deal because that means we as a culture are getting more and more secular, more and more away from God. And so this is the first generation that's really showing us that we're moving away from that, and it's really a big deal. And so we've got to talk about that. And what are the reasons? There's more than I can get into this today to unpack all of this. And obviously, I'm a pastor and a church planter, so I geek out on all of this stuff. That's why we're doing what we're doing, really understanding all of the culture and what's happening in the shift and how we can do a good job as a church reaching out to those people. But there's a lot of reasons for that, but there's something that's going on in our nation where more and more people are walking away, not only from Christianity, but from organized religion. And this is something that is a contributing factor into Generation Z becoming the first post-Christian generation who are raised by the previous generations that are walking away. So something that's happening is the more and more people are identifying, not with the religion, but they identify themselves as a nun. Now, some of you just like went like totally like Catholic nun on I me. Mean, that's not what we're talking about. They don't identify as a Catholic nun. They identify as a nun, N-O-N-E, as in like non. So may have heard this before. This might be new to you. But more and more people, even if they grew up in some kind of Christian home, or maybe um, they grew up with some kind of understanding of God, or they attended church at some point, more people are walking away from it than any other. Their time, and our point is that history is a country. Matter of fact, we have this chart that you can show you that kind of really illustrates where we are as a nation right now. This goes all the way back to the 1940s, and you can see 5% of the population in the 40s would have said, hey, we have no religious affiliation. So what does that mean? Like, we, we, we're not like into any organized religion. We don't claim we're Christian. We don't claim that anything. So it doesn't matter what religion it is. We would just say that they're not. Now, the interesting thing about nuns is they wouldn't necessarily say that they don't believe in God. This doesn't mean that they're an atheist. Some might say that. But many Many of them still believe in God. Matter of fact, some will still pray. Um, some of them still say they believe in some kind of higher power. Many of them will actually say they are totally... Um, they think that, the, you know, the universe and trying to understand all of that is just mind-blowing. And they just... There has to be something out there, right? So it doesn't mean not spiritual. It just simply believes that they're just not into the organized religion thing anymore. So if they were to be asked when they're pulled at the census, they would just say, I'm, I'm nothing. I, I'm not, I don't identify with any religion. So all the way back to the 40s, 5% of the population would have said that. And you can see that it, it creeps up there. And even just from... in fifty years. From 1940s to 1990, you would see only a 4% jump. That's not, not very much. But something starts to happen very interesting is it starts accelerating very, very quickly all the way up to 2016 where one quarter of our population in the United States would now say that they have no religious affiliation. Now, this is a really big deal. And this is honestly why we are doing what we are doing as a church. This is why we're talking about the vision that God's placed inside of us. Because more than any other time in our nation, we have an incredible opportunity to reach people who are far from God. Because more and more people are saying no to a relationship with God or they've just been burned by the church or they don't quite understand. Or maybe the church just, we've done a really bad job of representing Christ. Whatever the reason is that people are just not interested, they're not into it. And so we as a church have an incredible opportunity to reach them. Now here's the amazing thing, the last part on this chart, the last graph, 18 to 30-year-olds, nearly 40% are saying they have no religious affiliation. 40%. Generation Z will take this off the chart. They're well over 50. This is why this is the first post-Christian generation generation. They're, they're not going to church. They don't know simple biblical truths. And so here's the thing. This can become, like, really depressing. Like, wow, Brian, so glad we came for the Easter egg hunt today. Thanks for the pep talk, right? And so we could see this as something is like, why are we even doing this? What's the point? We're losing the battle. I mean, look what's going on here, Brian. The graphs aren't getting any better. The stats are just getting worse. Why are we doing this? Well, we could see this as that we just should be defeated and forget tree line. Let's just be huddled in the middle of the forest doing kumbaya and just come take us, Lord. Sweet home sweet chariot, right? Just whatever we got to do to get there. So we could be defeated about it or instead we can see this as an incredible opportunity to say in no other time in our history as a country are there more people that we have the opportunity to bring the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to them to tell them there's a God that created them that loves them that has a purpose and a plan for their life right We have an incredible opportunity, and that's why we started Tree Line Church, not because we wanted something to do, not because we're like, hey, you know what, I just don't have enough tough stuff to do on the weekend, so let's just create something else. No, that's not why. We don't want to just simply play church and come sing a couple of songs and and just hear a message and, you know, Easter egg hunt. That's not why we're doing it. All of it comes around the idea is we want to be a church that reaches people far from God, and Generation Z is the greatest opportunity, the greatest mission field that we have in front of us right now as a church. See, I don't know if you know this or not, but prior to me coming and planting Tree Line Church, I was a student pastor. I did youth ministry for 15 years. I invested my life, my heart, my soul into reaching teenagers, and that was something that I was really excited about, that I loved to do. And matter of fact, I really um, wrestled with God on the whole go plant a church thing, because I'm like, God, I, I love this so much. I believe this is a high calling. I never saw it as like a stepping stone to being like a, quote, real pastor. Like, that, that was never my life plan. It was just something that I really felt God called me to do, and so as we wrestled through 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 that with God, one of the things that was so exciting for us is that God's like, "Hey, we're going to start a church." The exciting thing is, we always said that if we had a church, it'd just basically be a front for the kids and youth ministry, and that's that's basically our vision now, right? That's that's what we're doing. So we're all here to enable what's happening over there with the kids right now, and so that's our heart, that's our passion. We want to be a church that reaches the next generation. So how how do we do that? What is our vision? What does that plan look like? How do do we reach the next generation? This is where packing lunches comes into play, and I want to read the story about Jesus because that's always a great place. To start when you've got vision. So I want to read this story. Maybe you've heard this story before where Jesus was out teaching and there were a bunch of hungry people and they weren't sure how they were going to take care of it. Well, we're going to take a look at that story today. So we've got some scripture. We'll read this together. It'll be on the screen. It says, after this, Jesus crossed over to the far side of the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Sea of Tiberias. A huge crowd kept following him wherever he went because they saw his miraculous signs as he healed the sick. Then Jesus climbed a hill and sat down with his disciples around him. It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. Jesus soon saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for him. Turning to Philip, he asked, Where can we buy bread to feed all these people? And I love this. This is, this is like the most Jesus thing Jesus can do. He was testing Philip because he was already he already knew what he was going to do. Some of you pause right there. Some of you do that to your kids, right? You ask the question and you already know, and the kids look at you like, "Oh man, I got to come." You you already know, right? And this is what Jesus is doing to his disciples at this moment. Where are we going to feed all these people? And so Philip replied, "Even if we worked, we had it there for a second. Even if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed them." So Philip's like. that's a great question, Jesus. We can all like, go get a job and do this thing, and I don't know how we would ever feed all these people. And then Andrew Simon, Peter's brother, he spoke up, and he's kind of gangster because he's like, Hey, here's this kid. <laughs> do you love this? Hey, there's this boy with five barley loaves and two fish, um, but what is good is that in this huge crowd? You just got to love his enthusiasm, right? Hey, Jesus, I know there's all these people, and so I found this boy, right? And we're just going bi- to basically rip off his pup- pound puppy lunchbox from this kid, right? The thermos kind of stinks, but hey, here's this bread and this fish. I thought we could do something, but I I don't know what good that is. And so Jesus is like, hey, tell everyone to sit down. So they all sat down on the grassy slopes. The men alone numbered about 5,000, so not even including women and children. This is a really large lunch gathering, right? This is a lot of people to have to feed, so it continues, and to see what happens it says then jesus took the loaves gave thanks to god and he distributed them to the people afterwards they did the same with the fish and all they all ate as much as they wanted after everyone was full jesus told his disciples now disciples now gather the leftovers so that nothing is wasted hold up leftovers leftovers so they picked up the pieces and they filled 12 baskets with scraps left by the people who had eaten from the five barley loaves come on sony do you just love jesus here he's like what's up disciples you even get a doggy bag on the way home i mean just unbelievable this miracle that takes place i love this what jesus does he's like this is it's an impossible situation there's no way we could possibly they're like even if we all worked and we got the money like you know you know we're like, where's the Panera truck? Like, back that up here, you know? And even if we did that, how many would it take to feed everyone? And Jesus does something so miraculous. It's an absolute miracle. It never would have worked out except Jesus performs a miracle to feed this large crowd. And so when we take a look at this story, and you have to ask yourself this question, who, who's the hero of the story? And I think at face value we would give the Sunday school answer, which would be Jesus, right? That's what we would say. He was, Jesus? Yeah, I don't know if you've ever taught kids before. You're like asking them anything. It's like Jesus. I know it sounds like a it quacks like a duck. Sounds like a duck. Look, but I think the answer is Jesus. No, in this instance, it's, it's, it's Jesus, right? We would say Jesus. Is the, but I think if we peel back the layers a little bit more of the story, you would have to say that if the boy hadn't showed up without a lunch for Jesus to multiply then they wouldn't have had food to eat, right? So we could say that the boy is the hero of the story, right? And that he had a lunch that Jesus was able to take and do the miracle with and feed it. But I think if we even go a layer further back than that, I would like to submit to you that the true hero, at least for me in this story, is the person who packed this boy's lunch. Think about it for a moment. Had someone not cared enough about this child, had someone not cared enough about his needs to send him with some food that day, and that boy would have never been there with that food, been able to have given it to Jesus, for Jesus to take it, bless it, do the miracle with, and feed the entire crowd. So for me, the person who is the hero to me is the person who invested into this child's life. And let's just be real for a moment. That was probably his mom, right? Because moms, if it wasn't for moms, we would be dead, right? Let's just be honest, right? If it was dad, he'd be like, hey, here's a couple of sticks. Go ahead and gnaw on this for a while, right? You know, it's just, I mean, it just, let's just be honest for a second, right? I mean, it's just, moms thank God for for moms, right? And so someone had to pack this boy's lunch. Someone had to take care of him. Someone had to do this. And so I really think they are the hero of the story. I think that's the person who really we should be like, wow, that's amazing. I don't know if you've ever thought about it that way before. And I remember when I was a kid, and I was thankful that my mom packed my lunch, right? And it would occasionally get, like, the handwritten napkin. I don't even know if anyone does that anymore. I get the little note on the napkin, you know, that your mom would send you. And I love packing my lunch. You know why? Because you get stuff in a packed lunch that you never get in the school cap. Cafeteria, right? Can I get an amen, somebody? I want to talk about some little Debbie cakes up in here for just a moment, right? I mean, come on, you are not getting that in the cafeteria. Come on, those little Debbie's, Swiss rolls, ho hos, right? Star Crunch, somebody, someone give God thanks for oatmeal cream pies up in here. I mean, come on, right? I'm getting diabetes just thinking about it. I mean, I love little Debbie cakes, and you get those in those lunches; they're just so good, right? It's like you don't even worry about anything else. You just rape, go to that plastic, rip that thing open. I, I can just smell. Those little Debbies right now, just so good, so thankful for those. But there was one time you didn't want to pack your lunch at school. You know what day that was, right? pizza day, right? I don't know what it was. It's like anything the cafeteria made, it could be iffy, it could be good, it could not be, but on pizza day, they could do no wrong, right? That square pizza, come on, just that, that cheese that was so fake, it wouldn't even melt on there. I mean, you know what I'm talking about, but man, it was so good. And you're like, mom, do not pack lunch on pizza day. I have to have that pizza, and God forbid you end up with your lunch that day, and you're just looking at that pizza on that person's little square platter, right, with a little milk carton on there is looking so good, and that pizza, you don't pack lunch on pizza day, but something that happens that's sad once you graduate from school is you don't have that opportunity. Maybe some of you still pack your lunch for work, but I remember going, to college, and obviously on college campus, you don't pack lunch because the number one reason is you don't have mom there to pack it for you, Um, but when you get to college, you eat in the school cafeteria, and the crazy thing about that is um, you pay with the school food, like with your school loans, so the interest you end up paying on your food, you should be eating steak every night, but instead, you're just eating whatever it is they're serving and just paying a crazy amount of money for it, and so I remember in college, um, I had a couple of friends who would, um, it started out innocent enough, They, they would take some food from the cafeteria like you know on your way out just grab a banana right grab an extra apple right on your way out and you know and then eventually it kind of morphed they would know, like come into their dorm room and it's like that's more than a banana that's like a whole fruit stand like what's going on It's like a bowl of like a basket it's all merchandise and look the bananas and then there's like some mangoes i'm like what did you even get those like what is happening like and so you just kind of and it, the game just kind of progressed and I would be kind of surprised that they were like taking stuff from the cafeteria which was frowned upon you shouldn't do this when you're in college and I I remember one time I and I'm not even making this up I walked in the dorm room and there's like this massive like 25 pound bag of waffle mix like in Dutch I'm like what do you even do with this like what is happening right now and no one says anything they just kind of don't even acknowledge that I noticed this not kidding you come in like a few days later somehow they lifted one of the industrial waffle irons out of the cafeteria and it was in their room on the desk. I'm like, do our dorm rooms even have the power capacity to heat one of these bad This is not like the little home version. I mean, these are like the ones where you're like cranking out capacity, right? And I'm like, what is happening? You know, it's just like eventually they were like serving continental breakfast out of the room and it was amazing and the best thing ever. Totally frowned upon, you know, and eventually once we took the soft serve machine, they caught us. No, I'm just kidding. They didn't get to that point. But I just remember that was just such crazy. And so as we talk about packing the lunch of the next generation. We're obviously not just simply talking about food, but we're talking about investing into the next generation. Because it can become very overwhelming when we take a look and say, man, look at the stats, look at Generation Z, the first post-Christian generation. There's so many are just so far from God. And where do you start? They don't have a memory of the gospel. You can't represent simple things about Jesus. And you can't talk about basic Bible stories and biblical truths. So how do we do this? It just feels so overwhelming. And is isn't even worth it? And I, I believe it is. And I think it's going to just take some people who are willing to pack the lunch of the next generation. Because here's what I love about this story of Jesus is that in the natural, there is no way it was going to add up. But here's what I love about God, and here's what I love about Jesus, is that kingdom math never adds up. See, in the natural, they didn't have all the resources. One guy even said, even if we all worked for months, we'd never have the money. But see, we facing a similar situation God, how could we possibly, Jesus, how can we possibly reach a generation that's so far from you? There's so many issues to work through. The resources that we have in the natural, they're never going to be able to do it. But here's what I love. A couple of pieces of fish, a couple of pieces of bread in the hands of the master, in the hands of Jesus was enough because he did a miracle with it. And if we bring with what we have collectively, though it might seem insignificant, though it might seem like there would never be enough because here's the news flash, it never will be enough. But in the hands of the master, if we are intentional to pass, the lunch of the next generation and we teach them to put it in the hands of the master Jesus will take it and he'll do something so incredible that we would never be able to do on our own and that's what we want to be all about we want to invest in the next generation we want to take time to pack their lunch so what does that look like practically for us as a church how how do we do that as a church well really for us it starts basically with our kids ministry our kids' ministry. I don't know if you know this, but if the hero of the story was the person who packed the kids' lunch that gave it to Jesus, my hero, today are the people, the men and women who are on the other side of this wall, investing into our kids' lives. Because we truly believe kids' ministry, it's not just daycare, it's not just childcare and babysitting. No, 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 that there are people who are intentionally teaching our kids about Jesus, telling them about the love of God. From a young age, they can hear that there's a God who loves them, who has a plan for them. I love it so much that there are kids who want to be here on the weekends now just even hearing stories of so you know a kid getting sick and being like on Saturday they're sick and they're like throwing up but we can still go to church on Sunday right like no you can't go to church or that we have kids that want to show up and help set up on Sunday morning where that we have kids who are like hey telling their parents you're gonna to have to get your work schedule fixed because we've got to be there on Sunday because we love it so much. And that's what we want to do as a church. We want to be intentional about investing into the next generation. It's why we do crazy things like packing tons of eggs and inviting friends to come so that we can find candy and have a good time and get prizes because we want to be intentional about reaching the next generation. I'm so excited. If you haven't had a chance to meet them yet, Ryan and Jasmine Kick are our next-gen pastors here. And just so thankful that they answered the call of God on their life. Because I don't know if you know this, but as a church plant, resources are really tough to come by. Right? I might surprise you, might not surprise you, but this has been a lot of work, a lot of fundraising, a lot of just knocking on doors and asking people to come be a part of this vision that God had given us. And so they said yes to that call, and they relocated here, and they had to find housing and find jobs to be able to support themselves, to be able to invest into our kids because they have so much passion inside of them to reach the next generation. So thankful for their leadership and the team that they've been raising up that invest into our kids every single week. And so that's where it starts for us. We want to be there. That's that's the hill we're going to die on, our kids' ministry. And then we really have a vision for a student ministry, that we want to have tree-lined students. And this is something that is still a seed. It's still a vision. We've been talking. We've been praying. I would ask you to pray with us for this, that there are so many teenagers in the schools and our communities around us who have yet to connect with any kind of church, any kind of ministry, have any kind of relationship with God. If you want to talk about a missions field, it is the teenagers in our schools right now now. And so we want to partner and support like Youth for Christ and all the other organizations that do great things for our kids. But we believe that God has put it in our heart to start a brand new youth group in our communities to reach students who are far from God. And Ryan Jasmine has so much, the youth leaders, they have so much passion inside of them and so much excitement. They just can't wait. Even when a teen shows up here on Sunday, we just can't help but glean. We're just so excited to see what God's going to do because it's not about a big crowd. It's just the one, right? And we just want to reach students who are far from God. So that's what we want to be all about. And, and honestly, it doesn't just stop with just kids ministry and with youth ministry, but as parents, Our role is huge in this. And so as a church, we want to come alongside parents and equip them. Because I don't know if you know this, but even if your kids came to church every single Sunday, which no one can make it to church every Sunday, not even the pastor, right? We like to try and we like to tell you, but not everyone can make it every single week. But even if they did, that would be 52 hours out of the entire year where someone was being intentional and raising them and helping them understand who God is but did you know as a parent you have a lot more hours than just 52? And the greatest thing that you can do as a parent, and let me, just, let me just maybe take some of the weight off of you for a moment because I know this can feel heavy when we talk about our responsibility, but it's not about donning some cape and being a super Christian and having all the answers and having everything figured out. The greatest thing that you can do to pack your kid's lunch and invest into their life spiritually is simply be authentic and real and demonstrate and walk out your faith in front of them. Just simply have an, it's not about having everything figured out, but what they do need to see is that you have prioritized God in your life. They do need to see that you have prioritized going to church, that you've prioritized serving and following after God and the the things that he has asked you and challenged you to do and the way that he's asked us to live in his word. It's not about getting it all right and being perfect all the time, but they do need to see you live out an authentic faith. And matter of fact, I would go as far as to say is this is the most important thing, the highest calling that we can do as a parent is invest into our kids' spiritual life. And I know our culture pulls us every other way and says it's about everything else. And yes, education is important. We want our kids to be educated. That's a very important thing. And yes, it's great for kids to be involved in all the extracurricular things and, and sports and music and theater. All those things that, yes, I'm all for it. Go do it. Be awesome at it. But at the end of the day, the most important thing that we can do as a parent is invest into their life spiritually. That we can set a precedent in their life. That we can point them towards God with our schedule, with our life, with our activities, with our reaction. Because parents, I know you know this. They're watching. And the greatest thing that we can do as a church is to come alongside parents. To come alongside you, parents, grandparents, aunts and uncles. We all have a role to play in this. And to pack the lunch of the next generation. And see, it might seem insignificant. It might seem insignificant to live your faith out in front of them. It might seem insignificant to spend some time praying with them or even just let them hear your prayers, being authentic before God. It might seem really small. It might seem like it won't make a difference. But the same thing that is insignificant with a couple pieces of bread and some fish, it's the same thing. The things that we do, it might seem insignificant. When you pack that kid's lunch and they learn to put it in the hands of Jesus, it will change everything. It will change everything. And so we want to do our best to come along, parents, and support you and believe in you and say, we know this thing is hard. We know it's not easy. We know it's not easy to live out your faith. So we want to help you live your faith. We want to help you be the best version of you. We want you to help discover your purpose and your calling, that you can live out a faith authentically in front of your kids to point them towards Jesus. And finally, this is the one that most excites me, and some of you might be a little scared on this one, is that here at Tree Line Church, we truly believe that every single one of us, all of us, we are all kids ministers and we are all youth pastors. Some of you are like, hold up, what? I was with you, Brian, until we got to this point here. What do you mean we're all kids ministers and we're all youth pastors? Well, here at Tree Line, if you're a Tree Line and this is your church, you may not have known it, but surprise, I'd like to let you know today that congratulations, you are a kids minister, you are a youth pastor, you have now been. mission to go and do the work of the ministry. You're like, Brian, I am terrible with kids. Have you seen the three-year-olds? I am petrified by them. There's no way. I just freeze up. I clam up. I get sweaty hands. They got small hands. I don't know what to do, right? And that doesn't mean that all of us are going to be actually in the rooms with the kids, but it might mean some of us are. It might mean that some of us are being intentional and maybe getting involved in the growth track coming up the first Saturday in May and coming and finding the way God shaped you single person was created on purpose for a purpose and maybe your purpose is to be loving on those kids can you go hold babies for once a week on a Sunday can you come love some elementary students who will think you're just a rock star when you come and pay attention to them and play a game with them can you be someone who sings some silly songs up front and just has a good time has fun eats candy come on there's some perks there maybe that's you and maybe 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 you will work with the youth ministry hands-on. Maybe God's calling you to help pioneer a student ministry here. Maybe that's something that God's put passionate inside of you. And maybe you will be leading someday a small group of teens or opening up your home to some teenagers coming in and sharing the love of God with them. And that will be some of our calling. That will be some of what we do. But every single one of us, whether we're working hands-on with the kids or not, it is our purpose and our mission. So maybe you'll be helping with checking or maybe you'll just be helping with church on Sunday morning in some other capacity or some other team or outreach. Or maybe you'll just be giving and being generous and equipping because I don't know if you know this, we have so much vision inside of us. And the vision that God has placed inside of us to reach the next generation far outweighs, it far outstrips the resources that we have in front of us right now. But we're not going to stop because we believe that God has placed this vision inside of us. And we're going to do everything that we can, including enlisting every person who comes through these doors to be a part of this vision and mission. And I hope that excites you today. You're like, man, Brian, you really get passionate about this. What's the deal? Like, tell us how you really feel, right? The reason I'm so passionate about this is because this is my story. This is my story. See, that I had somebody who believed in me growing up, and you're like, oh yeah, well, you're you're a pastor, so obviously someone really invested in you. See, that's what I do, that's not who I am. And I don't know if you know this, God is more concerned with who you are than what you are doing. He's far more concerned than who you are and following him and being a son and a daughter than what it is that you can do to serve him in some way. And so yeah, it's great that I'm a pastor, but that's what I do, that's not who I am. See, that I recognize that I am a child of God, that God loves me, that he has a plan for me that he's a purpose for me, that I'm living out right now being a pastor. But beyond that, that he's called me to be a godly husband, that I do my best to leave my home and, and raise my children to know Jesus and to set that family tree. See, I can't control what happens in all the family trees and even in my own. I, I can't say what's gonna happen because my kids have a free will, but I'm gonna do everything that I can to point them towards a life with Christ. You know why that happens in my life and in my family tree? Is because someone took the time to pack my lunch when I was a kid someone took the time to invest in me when I was a child someone took the time when I was in those formidable teenage years and man I was a hot mess thank God there wasn't social media back then because I can't even imagine but someone believed in me and they challenged me and they loved me and they pointed me towards Christ and even though I get crazy and out of control they still believed in me and pushed me and said you've got this Brian you're better than this you can do this and that's my story And beyond that, that's so many people who are in this room. story. That when we started Tree Line Church, there was a group of people who initially, before they even knew where we were going to go, didn't even know what city we would land in, didn't know what the vision with this thing was going to look like, what it was going to be called. And they were like, we're in. And you know who that first group was? It was a group of teenagers that I had the opportunity. Oh man, Brian. To invest my life into for 10 years as a student pastor, packing their lunches. Any of the ones who are in this room today, Garrett, who led us in worship today, that I've known him since he was 12 years old and had the opportunity to pack his lunch and put the challenge out there when we were leading a youth ministry in a very similar situation. We didn't have resources. We didn't have people. We didn't have a place to meet. Just nothing. And God set us this group of people who said, we'll do this. And we're like, man, we need need a band. We need people to, we need a student-led band to lead us in worship, which sounds great until you just get teenagers and you're like, it's hurting cats. How do we do this? But I'll never forget the day Garrett came up to me and he's like, I feel like God's telling me I'm supposed to lead a band. I'm like, that's great, that's awesome. Do you sing? No, not really. Oh, okay, well, do you play an instrument? No, not really. Kind of have a guitar, right? But so I'll that call and it's just not Garrett. There are so many who that's their story. And some of them said yes and came along. They're here at Tree line with us today. Some of them you know, Derek and Kyla. Smiths and Mark, and some others who had some other churches that invested in them as teenagers said yes and came along to this thing, and so many others who are all over the country now. And see, it's not about what they do, it's who they are. Yeah, some of them are in ministry, and some of them are pursuing ministry, but it's beyond that. That there are families who are being started, they're getting married, starting families with Christ at the center because someone said yes to packing their lunch. And the seeds of this church, Tree Line Church, happened because someone, somewhere, who you will never meet, took the time to invest into some teenagers who took the time to invest into my life who now we get to stand on their shoulders. And someday, years from now, (laughs) there'll be some people, some young adults who come out of these hallways because someone took some time to invest into these kids' lives, who'll be starting families, who'll be pointed towards Jesus, who'll be doing ministry to reach those who are far from God. And that's our story. And that's who we are as a church, and that's who we're going to be as a church. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, we just come before you today, and we are just so thankful for the vision that you've placed inside of us as a church. And God, we just want to take a moment in honor and recognize all of those people who took the time to invest into our lives, all the people who took the thankless jobs of Loving on kids and investing in them and telling them about Jesus, all the silly, crazy songs that we learned about you, all the crazy times we had in youth ministry, God. And even maybe some of us in here, we didn't have it in a ministry capacity, but we had somebody, a grandparent, an aunt, an uncle, a mom or a dad, someone who invested into us. And it's the reason that why we're following after you today. God, we thank you for those people, those men and women who answered that call. And God, I pray today that we would rise to the challenge and we would answer the call that you have placed on us as a church. God, that you've called each of us to play a part in this vision, in this mission. God, I pray today that you would just set our hearts on fire for reaching this generation for you. God, that instead of being down and out and just being distraught by it, God, that we can be fired up and say, look at the opportunity we have before us to reach this next generation. God, knowing that the resources, they just don't go far. It doesn't seem like we could possibly do this thing. But God, we know with with the little that we have, if we place it in your hands, that you will do miraculous things and you have already begun to do miraculous things. Providing the resources that we need as we stepped out in faith, providing a place for us to meet people who said yes to the team, people who said yes to giving, people who will never step foot in this door as the church is what we do, and they said yes and they were generous and they gave to make this thing happen. God, thank you. God, help us to do all that we can to reach the next generation for you. Thanks for listening. If you would like to connect with us or learn more about our church, please visit us online at treeline.church or on social media. Our mission is to see family trees change by a lifelong relationship with Jesus. We hope you can listen or join us next week.